0: Come in and grab a seat. Uh, as I said before, it's, uh, it's wonderful to be uh, with you and to see uh, so many familiar faces, uh, so many new faces as well. Uh, as Sarah said, as she, uh, she read that passage for us, it's only uh, a short passage this morning, only three verses, uh, but it would be really helpful for you to uh, keep the Bible open at those verses as we work through them together. How about we pray together as we start? Uh, Our gracious Father, we thank you so much for uh, your word. Uh, You tell us that it's living and active, uh, that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. We pray that by your spirit, your word will work in us this morning, uh, that as we hear it, you'll give us understanding that you'll convict us of sin, you'll bring us to repentance, and you'll help us look to the Lord Jesus for life. And we pray in his name. Amen. Well, I hope as you heard those verses read, as Sarah read them for us, uh, that you noticed the repetition in those verses. Uh, as I tell our students on campus over and over and over again, repetition is an important tool in your toolkit for reading the Bible well. Uh, Your high school English teacher probably told you that. Uh, Repetition is for emphasis. Repetition is for emphasis. Do I need to say it again? Repetition is for emphasis. And so I hope that as Sarah read those verses for us, uh, you notice that three times in those three verses, the author to the Hebrews repeats words about Endurance. In each one of those three verses, he uses words that are related to endurance. This is a passage that is all about endurance in the Christian life. Uh, a few years ago, I, I heard this passage preached on and I heard a preacher illustrate this passage with a story that is now forever linked with Hebrews 12 in my head. It's the story of the race to the South Pole. Uh, It happened just over 100 years ago. There were two teams that were working to be the first to reach the South Pole. There was a Norwegian team led by a guy called Roald Amundsen uh, and there was a British team which was led by Robert Falcon Scott or Scott of the Antarctic. It was an epic journey to the South Pole. It's over 1,300 kilometres from their base camp to the actual pole. That's roughly the equivalent of going from here in Toowoomba to Townsville and then turning around and coming back again. Steve's just done that last week. Steve, how would you like to do that on foot? Yeah, you'd probably have to put shoes on, wouldn't you, Steve? Uh, Unlike Steve's trip to Townsville, though, temperatures at the South Pole were around the minus 30s, minus 40s. Uh, They battled scurvy and frostbite... Uh, gangrene, snow blindness, blizzards. It was a hard journey. And for a team, for the Norwegians, it was a great success. Uh, those guys made it to the South Pole first and they got back with everyone in their team still alive. For Scott's team, though, the journey was an epic failure. Uh, they arrived at the South Pole on the 17th of January, 1912, And they found that after years of planning, they'd been beaten by just 34 days. And even worse, every single one of them died on the return journey. Out of the five-man team, not a single one made it home alive. One huge success and one huge failure. And actually to see why, you just have to look at how the teams were organised. So a Munson's team, the Norwegians, they were like a well-oiled machine. They had planned every part of their trip down to the exact detail. All of them were expert skiers. They carried absolutely no extra weight. They had even planned it so on the journey home they would eat the sled dogs. As they used up their supplies, they no longer needed so many dogs and so they would kill the dogs and eat them so that they could reduce the amount of weight that they were carrying. They left with 52 dogs. They came back with 11. Very nervous dogs, I think. (laughs) Contrast that with the British team, though. Uh, Scott was kind of sentimental about dogs for some reason, and so he couldn't bring himself to eat them. Uh, So they used ponies... But the ponies lasted less than a quarter of the journey, and then they had to make the rest of the way on foot. Remember, this is Toowoomba to Townville and back sort of distance. They'd planned to ski their way to the pole alongside the ponies, but it turns out that none of them were actually proficient skiers, and Scott didn't insist that they have skiing lessons before they left. Their food provisions were barely half what they needed to survive because at the last minute they decided that they would take an extra man on the journey with them. By the end, they were all suffering from scurvy, uh, which means that your gums bleed, uh, that you lose control of your bowels and so you have non-stop diarrhoea. One of the men, Lawrence Oates, had gangrene so badly in his feet that by the end he was just holding them on with bits of cloth. He was the first one of them to die. Uh, and in kind of typical British stiff upper lip fashion, uh, he told his friends he was just going to step outside and he might be some time. And they've never found his body. Finally, the remaining four men, uh, with just two days' worth of supplies left, uh, utterly exhausted, severely malnourished, they pitched their tent and they just lay down and waited to die. Their bodies were found in their tents seven months later by a search party. And it turns out that they had set up their final camp just 18 kilometres from a huge supply depot that they'd laid in one of their earlier journeys. Everything that they would have needed to finish the journey. After trekking 1,300 kilometres to the pole, more than halfway back, they died less than 20 kilometres from their supply depot. And the amazing thing is, the thing that I find most incredible about this whole story is that when the search party rummaged through Scott's sled, do you know what they found? They found rocks. They'd stopped on the way back, you see, because Scott had spotted some fossils. And so Scott had been dragging behind him over 35 pounds of rocks He dies less than 20 kilometres from a huge depot full of food and medical supplies, all because he had been dragging behind him a pile of rocks. Isn't that incredible? What a foolish thing to give up your life for. Now have a look at what the Bible says in Hebrews 12. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You see, the race to the South Pole, it's a race where the difference between success and failure is life and death, isn't it? Poor planning getting distracted, being weighed down by rocks, cost Scott and the rest of his team their lives. And that's the picture that the writer of Hebrews paints of the Christian life. He says the Christian life is a race of endurance where getting distracted, getting caught up in sin, it has eternal consequences. It is literally the difference between life and death. The people who first received this letter, they were suffering for their faith. Life was tough as a Christian in the first century. They were hounded by persecution. And so they were tempted to pack it in and give up before they reached the end. And that is a temptation that every one of us as Christians will face. When following Jesus becomes costly, we will be tempted to give up. We'll be tempted to doubt that Jesus is enough. We'll be tempted to doubt that it's him who brought us into this race and he's sustaining us to the end. But the point of the book of Hebrews is to show us how incredible Jesus is and outline the wonderful things that he's done for us in the gospel that we might withstand that temptation. Hebrews tells us Jesus is the son of God, the one who took on flesh, who became a high priest to intercede for us, who offered himself as a perfect, full and final sacrifice. One who removes our sin and cleanses our consciences. He gives us confident access to God. And Hebrew shows us that we would be idiots to give that up. And so when that temptation comes, that temptation to give up, how is it that we keep going? Or even better, how do we finish the race Strong. Well, in these three verses that we're looking at today, uh, the writer of Hebrews is like a coach training a squad of marathon runners. And like a good coach, he boils it down to just three simple instructions, three clear instructions that are going to get us over the line in the end. He says, first of all, get down to race weight. Then he says we need to keep putting one foot in front of the other And thirdly, he says, keep your eyes on the prize. See the first thing there in verse 1, where to get down to race weight, he says, by throwing off everything that will hinder us in the Christian race. Last year, actually, I I read the memoir of uh, Phil Knight. Uh, He's the creator of Nike. uh, And he talks about his college running coach, who he actually went into business with later. He talks about his obsession with modifying shoes Uh, his coach was named bill bowerman and he writes this about him he says he always had some new design some new scheme to make our shoes sleeker softer lighter especially lighter one ounce sliced off a pair of shoes he said is equivalent to 55 pounds over one mile he wasn't kidding his math was solid you take the average man's stride of six feet Spread it out over a mile, you get 880 steps. Remove one ounce from each step, and that's 55 pounds on the button. Lightness, Bowerman believed, directly translated to less burden, which meant more energy, which meant more speed. And speed equaled winning. And thus lightness was his constant goal. He was obsessive about stripping down any weight that would slow his runners down. And the writer of Hebrews wants us to be equally obsessive about shedding anything that will slow us down in our Christian race. And so he says that we're to throw off two things. We're to throw off everything that hinders, every weight, he says. And we're to throw off the sin that clings so closely. First of all, he says, throw off every weight Every weight, those things that hinder... Things that are not necessarily sin, but things that are not helpful. They are extra baggage. They're like dragging rocks across Antarctica. And so to keep going in the Christian life, we need to throw off every weight, every impediment, everything that could hinder our progress, that could stop us finishing the race. Because remember, this is a race where the difference between finishing and not finishing is life and death. And so consider, friends, what is it that weighs you down? Maybe it's what you watch on TV or on your computer screens. For some of us it might be certain relationships. Uh, You know those friends or that group of friends and you find it really hard to be a Christian around them. They change the way that you speak in their company. You laugh at jokes that you wouldn't laugh at if they were told over morning tea at church. Or perhaps it's an attitude that you've cultivated. Uh, I know for me, I find it much easier to check the news on my phone and scroll through Facebook every morning than I do to sit down with my Bible open to read and pray. Have you grown complacent in your Christian life? You know, you make it to to church on Sunday, you live a a relatively moral life, but you have no desire to be sharing the gospel with people. You come to church to be served, not to serve others. Or perhaps for you it's the opposite. Maybe you are so over-committed to so many things that you don't have a second to think about how the race is actually going. You know, you're so focused on running the kids to after-school activities that you really only make it to your Bible study group once a term rather than every week. If something influences you to run in a different direction, if it inhibits you from running freely, then you need to throw it off. The longer you drag a weight behind you, the harder it will be to keep going. And so, perhaps take some time today or this week and consider what it is for you that might be slowing you down and throw it off. But do you see the other thing in verse 1 that the writer of Hebrews says we need to throw off? He says, Lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. This is where the great danger is, isn't it? In sin. Uh, Last year we had a bunch of trees in our backyard cut down uh, because these spiky vines, asparagus vine, had uh, wrapped itself around the trunks and the branches of the tree and had choked the trees to death. And that's the picture of sin that the author gives us here, isn't it? Sin tangles us, it trips us up and it, it keeps us from finishing the race by slowly choking the life out of us. Habitually indulging in sin is so dangerous. Those same sins over and over again, they sear our consciences. And so we start to think they're not actually that bad. Or else we become so overwhelmed with guilt and shame about them that we just find it impossible to draw near to God for help and for forgiveness. It will drag you down in your race. So Hebrews tells us, stop it. If you have a sin that is tripping you up, or slowing you down, or holding you back, throw it off. Maybe confess it to someone. Ask for help, get people to pray for you. But throw it off. And particularly ask for God's help. Hebrews tells us that God promises to give us help through Jesus in in our time of need. And so get down to race weight by throwing off everything that hinders or tangles. Secondly, this passage tells us to keep putting one foot in front of the other. To keep running. Do you see that at the end of verse 1? Let me read that verse again. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Uh, I've never done it myself, uh, but when someone runs a marathon, I've been told, uh, they keep doing the things that are going to help them cross the finish line at the end. Uh, They carbo-load in the days leading up to it. Uh, They eat a good breakfast. They stay hydrated through the race. Maybe they've got you know goals for different parts of the race. They do whatever they need, not just to start the race well. They want to cross the finish line, don't they? And so it is in the Christian life. What are those things that keep us going, that keep us putting one foot in front of the other? This is a race that, for some of us, is going to last 50 or 60 or 70 years. How do we make sure that we endure in that race? Hebrews has told us that already, uh, the things that will keep us going. Uh, It's definitely worth going back over the whole book and reading it for yourself. It takes about 45 minutes to read Hebrews. Maybe you could do that this afternoon. But let, you, let me give you the, uh, the highlights package of what Hebrews says as it encourages us. Uh, chapters 1 and 2, they tell us to pay attention to the gospel that has been revealed by Jesus, uh, revealed by God rather, through Jesus and has been declared to us by the eyewitnesses. That testimony that is now written down for us In Scripture. In other words, Hebrews says, read your Bible. Chapter 4, Hebrews says, we should draw near to our high priest for help and mercy in our time of need. How do we draw near to Jesus? We pray. Pray for Jesus' help to withstand temptation. Chapter 10 tells us to draw near to God in faith, to hold on to our hope. And to meet together to spur one another on to love and good deeds. What is it? It's prayer. It's study and growing in the Word. And it's doing it in the context of regular fellowship with God's people. Hebrews says go to church. They're all basic things, aren't they? You know, they're the, the easy applications for a preacher to make Bible and prayer and fellowship. But Hebrews tells us that they are the things that God gives us to keep us running in the race. They're what theologians call the means of grace. They are the tools that we need to endure. They are gifts given by God to his people to keep them spiritually fighting fit. Without those things, it's like trying to make it to the South Pole without knowing how to ski. And so, get down to race weight and keep putting one foot in front of the other. Finally, uh, our writer's third instruction is to keep our eyes on the prize. We're to keep looking at Jesus. Do you see that in verses 2 and 3? Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And again in verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. As we've taught our kids to ride their bikes, there's a a principle that we've come to realise Where you look is where you end up heading. If they keep their eyes on the path ahead as they're riding their bikes, they'll go straight. They'll stay on the path. As soon as they get distracted by something around them, they end up crashing. Where you look is where you end up going, and it's the same in the Christian life. And so what are you looking at? What's the goal that you are heading towards? Because what you look at influences how you run the race. Perhaps you're focused on being set up for a comfortable retirement, making sure the super's bumped up enough. Perhaps you're looking at the renovation that the neighbour has just done to their house and thinking, oh, I could do that to my place. Or the new Prado that's sitting in the neighbour's four-wheel drive, in, uh, in their driveway. Perhaps you're looking at a private school for the kids and figuring, oh, maybe if I have to work a few Sundays to make sure we can afford it, that's not too bad. It doesn't matter if I skip church every once in a while. What might it be for you that catches your attention and tempts you to run in a different direction? Because wherever you set your eyes, your body will follow. And so Hebrews says the, w- the way to make sure we finish the race, to not grow tired and wear out, is to keep looking at Jesus. We're to look at him. Because he's the goal that we're running towards, isn't he? He's the reward. He's not just the help to get us there in the end, you know, the one who carries us over the line. He's actually the prize. It's being with him. And so we need to keep looking to him. And as we do, what do we see? We see, as I've heard someone say, we see in Jesus the ultimate endurance athlete. If you know the book of Hebrews, you'd know that in the previous chapter, chapter 11, we're given a tour of the hall of fame of faith. Dozens of examples of men and women whose certain hope in the promises of God mean they stand firm in the face of great difficulty. And it's their witness that's meant to spur us on to keep running and to finish the race well. But we get to chapter 12 and Jesus is the ultimate example of that faith. A faith that is certain of the promises of God. A certainty that allows Jesus to endure even the cross. He ran the race he laid aside every weight. Jesus is the perfect example of endurance. But if he were just that, if Jesus was just an example of endurance for us to follow, he'd be no help to us at all, would he? If he's just an example of the standard that I need to reach on my own efforts, that's no help to me, that, it, that only leads to Despair. On my own, I can never reach that level of righteousness that Jesus displays. And so instead, more than just an example, Hebrews shows us Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's the founder, the source of our salvation, the one who opens the way for us into the Father's presence and enables us to follow him. And he's the perfecter of our faith. He not only opens the way to God, but he actually qualifies us to enter into God's presence by cleansing us of sin. God's promise to us that we can come before him, enter his presence and receive rest from him is only fulfilled by Jesus' perfect faith. And it's because of Jesus' faith That means he's going to endure anything. Do you see what he did in verse 2? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Because of his faith, Jesus looks forward through the cross to the joy that is set before him, promised by the Father on the other side of his suffering. Hebrews 11, that... That chapter full of examples of faith tells us right at the start what faith is. And Hebrews says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That's Jesus' whole life, isn't it? It's being sure of the joy that's set before him. He's sure of it, even though what is immediately in front of him in his earthly life is suffering. But that forward focus, that faith in the promised joy that his father had given him meant that he could endure anything. He could even endure the cross. It's because of the joy that was set before him on the other side, that joy of sitting at his right at his Father's right hand, as the ruler of a new heaven and a new earth over a new people where all sin has been washed away. For that joy he endured the pain of the cross, the pain of the flogging and the nails and the beatings. But actually, more than the pain of the cross, he endured the shame of the cross, the shame of being stripped naked and mocked and spat on, being subjected to a death that is designed to dehumanise and humiliate its victim. But it's a shame that isn't a shame that's due to Jesus, is it? As the one who never sinned, there is no shame that is due to him. The shame that he bore as he hung on the cross was our shame. It's the shame of all of our sins, the guilt of all of our sins. All of our darkest secrets, all of the worst things that we've done, those things that we are so ashamed of that cause us to flush with embarrassment as we think of them. He bore the burden of them on the cross. He did it willingly for the joy that was set before him on the other side. And after he'd done it, do you know what he did? After Jesus had endured the shame of the cross, after he'd borne the sins of the world, Hebrews says he sat down. It's what you do after a job well done, isn't it? You sit down. Uh, But Jesus didn't flop down on the lounge with a cold beer. He sat down as a victorious king returning from battle, sitting down on his throne. He sat down at his Father's right hand. He endured all of our shame. He endured the agony of the cross because he could see through it to the joy of being at his Father's right hand. And that's what's promised for us if we endure to the end. Do you look forward to that? Because that's the goal, that is the prize. Can you see through whatever struggles you are facing now to the joy of being with Jesus? Because one day, Hebrews says, we will meet Him face to face. And if we endure, if we run the race all the way to the end, then Hebrews says he'll welcome us into his eternal rest and we will share his glory. But running that race is so hard if we're dragging a pile of rocks behind us. We hold tightly to all sorts of things, don't we? Uh, To our possessions to our our comfort, to our reputations. We even hold tightly to some of our sins. But be assured that when you look at them in the light of Jesus' face on that final day, you'll see that they're just rocks. All of those things that we give so much time and thought and money to, in the light of Jesus' face, are worthless. When Jesus comes back, please, friends, don't be found dragging a pile of rocks behind you. Get down to raceway. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. And keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the wonderful news of the Gospel, uh, that through the death of Jesus on the cross, our sin and our guilt and our shame has been taken away. Father, we pray that you would help us hold fast to the faith. With the help of the Spirit, help us to throw off everything that hinders us or threatens us, to stop running, help us commit ourselves to those things that actually will help us keep running the the race, Uh, to your word, uh, to prayer, to fellowship with one another in Christ. And Father, above all, help us keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the one who is himself the great prize that we're running for. Help us love him. Help us long to be with him. And help us to see everything else in the light of his face. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.